0: Welcome to Sexuality After, the place we have real, raw conversations about how sexuality shifts and changes throughout our lives, especially after religion, parenthood, trauma, and loss. I hope by listening to these stories, you're inspired to leave shame behind Embrace your sexuality wherever it is right now, and know that you're not alone in the weird and wild experiences we all go through. Welcome to this episode of Sexuality After. Um, We're here today with Andrew Gerza, and Andrew shines a light on how sexuality and disability feels for real. He's won awards for his advocacy and works tirelessly to educate about sex and disability in and out of queer spaces. He is the co-founder of Deliciously Disabled that is working on creating hands-free sex toys. And he hosted one of the first accessible sex parties, which is amazing. Yeah, (laughs) I would love to hear more about that at some point in our interview. Um, But I'd love to just start by if you could share um, a little bit about your disability so people know where you're coming from. And also two or three of the biggest beliefs that you grew up with around sex and sexuality.
1: Okay. Hi. Uh, My name is Andrew Girza. I'm a disability awareness consultant. I am 37, live in Toronto, Canada with cerebral palsy. I'm super queer. Um, uh, I use they, he pronouns. My disability identifiers are disabled. Um, Sorry, I just thought I would do that all first. Uh, I mean, my parents were really open about it. We're really like my mom and my dad have never shied away from it. My mom always said, you know, the door's open if you want to talk to us, like no problem. Um, So that was never an issue. Uh, I guess I believed that kind of just for myself, I, I couldn't be gay or queer because I was also disabled. So I struggled when I came out at 15, almost 16, to be like, I was like, oh, great, I'm already disabled. I'm already this burden on my family. Now I'm gonna be gay too? God. So like, that was a thing that I had to contend with. And then just really kind of believing that, and this was not any belief that my parents had to me, this is just me um believing that I wouldn't find anybody that I that you know romance and sexuality was not really for me um also when I was growing up and we had like grade nine health class um I you know there was no representation of the disabled body there so I was like well none of this applies to me plus I want to sleep with dude so like I don't want to get a girl pregnant I want to sleep with dudes (laughs) like where is it for me so I grew up with all this like not so much misconceptions other than like oh no how can you be just gay and disabled but then also like how like just a lack of knowledge and a lack of experience I also had a lack of experience growing up when I was like coming into puberty and coming into teenagehood and coming into all the times when you like rebel and get to experiment and do all these things. I was busy having surgery. I was busy, you know, trying to just survive and live and be okay in my disabled body. And I had spinal fusion surgery and had all these things happen. So I grew up, but I had to grow up and mature in some ways really fast. But then at the same time, I didn't get to have my first sexual experience as a teenager. I mean, right. I guess technically I did. I got, I had sex in 19, but not, not in like the like, ooh, I'm in high school. I'm going to like go be with a person. It was like, I'm in college and I'm by myself and I've never done this and I have no one to talk to about it and I have no one disabled that I can bring this to. Um, but I want to like do this because all my peers are doing this. So how do I do this? Um, so I grew up with just... A lack of knowledge within the disabled community of like what sexuality and disability could look like, um, and just a lack of experience because yeah. I didn't get to do all the things that my peers were doing
0: totally i'm I'm sure that I know the answer to this question, but do you find that that is a common experience for people with disabilities is that they just there's not a lot of resources out there, and they just can't experience things in exactly the same way. And there's no like basically no education out there around sex and disability. It's
1: happening. It's happening more and it is coming mm -hmm. more and more, but it's slow. And also the stuff that we, the stuff that we see out there now is clinical, very clinical, very medical, like it's there, but it's not like sexy. There's nothing cool about it. So that's part of why I started, I started, my work with both Deliciously Disabled and then we've changed our name now now we're called Handy. So we're, my my sister and I have started a sex toy company called Handy and so we wanted to not only create the first line of sex toys for disabled people but also have an arm around education and do do things around that because there is not a lot of education that is specifically geared towards disabled bodies and disabled sexuality. Yeah it's just not out there and it's still in 2021 I can say quite confidently that there's not enough of it out there
0: totally absolutely so how do you make sex education sexy instead of clinical like you personally
1: me well I take a lot of pictures of myself without my clothes on um (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, a lot of my social media is me half naked saying, here I am in a wheelchair. Look at me, like, look at my body. Here I am. You know, I've done pornography. I've done adult film. I've done stuff to be like, and not necessarily because I want to be a, I want to be a public face. I mean, I I am, but I didn't start out that way. I started doing this 10 years ago because I was like, I want to fuck gay dudes. And the only way that I'm going to be able to fuck other gay dudes is if I put myself out there. They don't think I'm viable. They don't pay attention to me. I want to get laid. I want to have better sex. I want to have relationships. I want to try all this stuff that I never got to try. So, but, and I noticed the only way that that I could, could really connect with gay men was like, well, all I see in gay media is like hot men being hot. What if I tried the same thing? And so I just, you know, put, I put myself out there. I did, magazine shoots, I said, Oh, you need a you need a disabled person for your thing. I'll do that. Like I put myself out there and said, I'll do it because I was like, then they'll see that I'm a sexual option for them. Um yeah. and so my foray into education was like, let's make it fun. Let's make it hot. But, like that's part of why I started the hashtag disabled people are hot a couple of years ago. Cause I was like, I want to show that disabled people fuck. They have sex. They have they have relationships. I want to show that but I want it to be I want to turn you on. Like, I want to do that. Let me, let me try.
0: Yeah, totally. I love it. So how did that work for you? Uh,
1: that's a, <laughs> I mean, it has worked in some instances <laughs> and in some instances it hasn't. Like it's it's <laughs> sure. really hard to be a public face to put yourself in that situation. Um, It's, you know, it's hard because you have to work for yourself because no one is, no one is pushing you except you yeah. and also the backlash I've received from people for some stuff that I've done, stuff that I've said, stuff that they perceive that I did like that. It's, it's been, it's been hard. Um, and, you know, again, most queer men, most queer, cis, able-bodied white gay men don't understand disability and don't, are not willing to. So I started about five years ago hiring um, sex workers, to work with and working with sex workers and that changed my life that that was such a transformative powerful positive experience for me that up until COVID hit I was seeing my sex workers twice a month and I was having a great old time and just really enjoying myself and so you know so it's been hard to be a public face but also it's brought me the opportunity to do porn to show that disabled people have real sex it's brought me the opportunity to do that sex party that you mentioned at the the top like it's brought me all these things and so I'm very proud of it but it's also really exhausting because there's another part of me that's like I just want to curl up with a boy on a couch and watch a movie and and you know not prove to the world that I'm fuckable today and so there's a part of me that I love what I do but I'm also exhausted by what I do, because why do, why do I have to be the be the one? But then I think if I don't do it, no one else will. If I don't talk about queerness and disability the way that I do, no one else will, so I have to. and also it's a way for me to make, to make money so I can pay for that hard sex work that I like. so like it's there's it there's a lot of parts of it that I don't like um but i'm but I'm thankful for the opportunity.
0: Yeah is that? one of my questions was what gives you the courage to keep putting yourself out there? Because I read, like I watched some of your videos and read about you a little bit. And some of the stuff that people have said to you is like incredibly horrible. And so, yeah. What does give you the courage? Is it the fact that if you don't, who else will?
1: That. And also I need fucking money. And this is, the easiest this is like the easiest quickest way I have not only do I have cerebral palsy not only do I have a lot of care needs that require me to basically work from my home and stay at home to work Um, I also have IBS I have different things that that make going to do an in-person anything especially right now horribly impossible for me so like it's it's so much courage it's like I need I need money. I need, I need to be able to feed myself this week. And yes, I live on like the Ontario's version of whatever Alberta has as social assistance, the same thing, but, but I don't want to rely on that. I want my own money and I want my own income and I want to be able to go and buy stuff or go and buy dick if I want. Like I wanted, I want to be able to do all that. So it's not courage necessarily. It's like, this is how I know how to make a buck. And I have to use my story to, to feed myself, and I know, like, I, that might sound crass and weird, but it's just what I've learned to like. What I've learned is that I can't do a nine to five job. I used to work for a telecom company in Canada that rhymes with robbers, um, and so I used to work for them, and they were did, didn't they didn't understand my disability. I was out yeah. out because of disability related stuff for months at a time sometimes, and they wouldn't they didn't get it, so I had to leave that job. And I did, I did the nine to five call center slog and it was exhausting for me. So realizing that I had to use my story as the springboard for me to work is why I keep going. It isn't even so much. There are days where I don't want to do it. There are days I'm like, and you know, how many times do we have to reschedule this, this, this recording? So like there are days where things I'm just like, no, I don't want it today. Or I can't today. Or I, no. So but then i'm like i got to make money and i got to feed myself so i got to i got to do it
0: yeah <laughs> you have to be an entrepreneur in a way in order to make a living yourself yeah. personally because of your disability
1: yeah completely the 9 to 5 slog and working for someone else under someone else's rules under someone else who doesn't understand how my disability plays into my my world Cannot work for me. Does not work for me, and that's why I work primarily for myself. And I work with my sister, with Handy, so that we have an understanding. If if I can't, then I don't, and if I can, then I will. And, and if you know, yeah. there's some days where I don't want to, but I still do because I have to. Um, but it's I I wouldn't work for anybody else now. Like I, I that's why I love contract work because I can pick up a contract, do a job for somebody, make some money, feed myself that month keep the lights on, you know, go and buy myself something frivolous that I want and I'm okay. And a lot of disabled people, unfortunately, in Canada and around the world can't do that because they live on social assistance. So I always tell disabled people, like, you know, tell your story, but charge for your story. Your story has value and put a a dollar amount behind that story because what you're doing is you're selling to non-disabled people that you deserve to exist. So if you're going to do that, put a dollar amount behind it. That's why right. when I do a talk, I charge anywhere from 500 for the talk to 2,500 for the talk, depending on who I'm talking to and the resources. Like I charge not a lot, but I charge enough. Cause I'm like, you want me to, to, you want me to tell you my whole story and then, you know, feel good about it afterwards and learn something great. Here's a dollar. amount.
0: Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, what, what were you just going to say?
1: So to answer your larger question, it isn't necessarily courage. It's, <laughs> it's hunger. It's and money. It's,
0: yeah, and it's <laughs> money. <laughs> well, I feel like there is still courage in there.
1: I mean, I'm sure there is, but it's not definitely not the driving force.
0: Yeah. Um, how do you deal with the hurtful things people say? It's hard.
1: Internally? I mean, there was. I'll be really frank, because why not? There was a period about two years ago where I was accused and alleged of a sexual assault that I did not perpetrate. Somebody made up a story on Twitter and let it burn like wildfire that I had assaulted somebody that I had flown to the Bahamas and assaulted somebody, which given my physical disabilities is completely impossible for me to do. Um, And so they let this burn on social media. And of course it quickly spun in into Andrew Gers as an abuser. And it was hard. I still face backlash from that event. And that's been almost two years now. I don't like going on social media now because I'm like, Oh, what if someone says something? What if something is twisted out of proportion? What if I say something accidentally and it gets like blown out by the social media warriors who want to take down somebody. So I don't, I don't, love doing that and so how i deal with it is i shut down i don't i don't want to i don't want to like when that happened to me i didn't go on social media for a month and i but i was sick to my stomach like every day i would wake up and be like oh oh god what are they still talking about is it still happening like is someone gonna say something to make up another lie what do i do now so it was really hard and i have moved past it and just kept going But I'm very careful now What I say, like, everything I say is super curated. I've closed all my DMs. I've closed on all the, like, private ways you can reach out to somebody, usually, because I'm just like, I don't want to engage with you privately, because I don't want anything to get misconstrued by anybody anywhere. And so it was really, really hard.
0: Do you think that that is kind of a matter of time if you're in the public eye? in any way that it's kind of a matter of time before people take something totally out of context and you get roasted I feel like I feel like that's just like gonna happen to me or like to anybody
1: I mean I feel like in our cancel culture climate Mm -hmm. and the way we have distorted what cancel culture is yep I think it's gonna happen more and more and the way we the way there is no, let me be clear. What I'm saying is sexual assault is not okay. Of course not. What I'm saying is when somebody twists that around to make that the story, when that's not what happened, that's what the problem is. Totally. When, what, the way we discuss cancel culture and the way that anybody who says anything against someone is immediately canceled for a thought, even if it's the wrong one, if that's where the problem is. I'm not saying people like Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby and all those people shouldn't be canceled. Of course they should. They're monsters, and that's wrong. What I'm saying is the if the average person makes a mistake, and is, or says something that someone doesn't like, or says something that might be a little bit ableist or a little bit racist or a little bit whatever it is, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about that or or fix it. I'm saying we can't dismiss somebody. Just because it's fun to do that on social media now. Like that's what the that's that's where I see the problem lying. And I have a big problem with the way and I've seen people taken down for making a mistake. And it's like, don't we have nuance anymore? Can't we have a conversation? Can't we have a discussion that is kinder than oh, you're canceled, or you're canceled because of something that I perceived that you did, but I didn't bother to ask you if you did it. So I think we, I think social media is a great tool for connection. I think it's also a dark tool for manipulation. And I think, because when it happened to me now, like, I will look at news stories of things that are going on in the world and I'll be like, okay, so-and-so says this, but did it happen? Or is is it spun out? And that's, that's a shame because you want to support people, but it's like, who's who, who is fueling this? Is it the Twitter mob, or is it an actual person that has a problem?
0: I think that's a very valid. <laughs> it's always a valid question to ask, and something to be aware of. I think the cancel culture is hugely destructive because nobody can seem to have conversations anymore about anything. It's like automatic judgment, and that's it. Yeah,
1: it's really frustrating. Not only is it automatic judgment, and I'm going to block you, but then I'm going to roast yeah. you on social media after totally. I block you. So that your whole reputation, uh, when that when that accusation came down, for me, I lost gigs. I I, I lost a gig a couple months ago because somebody that I was going to work with, an institution who I won't name, reached out and said, you know, we've uncovered these tweets from a year and a half ago. And I said, okay, cool. Did you bother to fact check any of these tweets before you approached me? Did you come to me and ask me what happened? No. You've simply said, "Oh no, we found these tweets," and I was like, "Okay, these tweets are, are all fabricated. What, <laughs> like, what's yeah. going on?" And so, you know, even a even a year and a half, like two years later, I'm still dealing with the fallout of that. So it it hurts me because, like you said, cancel culture doesn't allow for us to make a mistake. So yeah. what hurts me is that people in the disability community who I respected and did work with and cared about and like and like followed and supported immediately the minute they thought that I was an abuser turned on me and said oh no Andrew Gers is an abuser we can't yeah like and I was like does no one want to hear my side of what I'm (laughs) doing totally and so that that's the part that upsets me because I and because the person who was accusing me was a person of color and was a woman me as a, right, as a white man was immediately discounted. And, you know, to a point, rightfully so, because, of course, my privilege, you know, allows for certain things. But to not have the chance to say, this is what really happened, this person made up a lie, regardless of whether or not they're a person of color, they lied. And regardless of whether or not they're a woman, they still lied. Yeah. I mean, how do we talk about this without bringing my privilege into it and no one else's yeah so to answer your larger question how do I feel about it um I try to keep my head down and do my job and if anything comes up about stuff or if and I if if I have made mistakes and I've had people call me out or call me in and say hey like some of the stuff you we did in a podcast interview or some of the stuff you said I didn't super like and I'll, I'll immediately be like oh no okay goodness sorry like sorry sorry and I'll apologize and, and I'll try to do better. Um, but how I feel is that, that if you have a problem with what I've said or what I've done, tell me so I can do better. The only way that I can do better is if you tell me. If you yeah. blast me on Twitter, then you're only producing one side of a narrative. You're not letting the other person speak, you're not letting them learn or grow or change. And so I look at all a lot of the stuff now that I see in social justice world with a really cynical eye and a really critical eye of like, who's putting this out there? Where did it come from? How is it being disseminated? Who is, who is saying it? What about the other side? Have we heard another side? Are we going to listen to another? side? like, I'm very, very critical now because <clears throat> it happened to me. And I, I remember before it happened, I would, I would have jumped on all the bandwagons. And right. said, oh, yeah, 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 blah, blah, whatever. But the minute it happened to me, I was like, oh, this is what social media really is. Right. Like, all right, I get it
0: now. Right. I love your attitude towards um, people that come to you with, I don't know, questions or comments about disability and sexuality that might not be, you know, the exact proper social way of saying things or something because you said, um
1: what what did i say <laughs> when
0: people like when people are they don't want to talk about stuff because they're worried about offending you you said we need to talk more about what we don't know pretending you don't know doesn't mean you know <laughs> and that you want people to just have discussion and talk about it yeah and kind of the feeling i got is that like not to be so worried that you're going to offend you or anybody else, but to have those discussions because that's the only way we learn. And that's the only way that we expand our worldviews by having discussions with people.
1: <laughs> and I mean, that's where I sit with the disability community. And I'll speak to, about that community because I'm a part of it. Um, I feel like a lot of disability activism is rooted in anger. You're mad because you've been impressed and rightfully so. You should be angry. Of course you should. But when the average person who doesn't know and has had no experience with disability is trying to learn and so makes a mistake or stumbles over something or does something repeatedly that you maybe have asked them not to do or you don't like or whatever, instead of screaming, you're an ableist to go fuck off, don't talk to me anymore, which I see a lot of activists do all the time in, in the disability space. And it irks me to no end because it's not the way to go about it. I understand you're tired. I understand we're exhausted from being constantly oppressed. I get that. But I also see disability, kind of the work I do in disability awareness as giving someone the opportunity to learn. I don't want to do it every day. I don't do it every day. There are some days where I'm fucking tired and I don't want to do it. But if somebody wants to learn and is willing to learn and says something like, Hey Andrew, are you are you special needs? Like for instance, I'll tell the story because it's it's close to me. My mom, when she was growing up, and when she was raising me and growing me up, the the language she was taught around disability was people with special needs. In the eighties, that's the language they used, so that's the language that sticks with her now. So when she's talking to people about me and and or or people with disabilities or disabled people she'll say I have a son with special needs. Now, when I was starting all this activism, I'd be like, Oh, mom, don't use it anymore. Like, and I would, we would fight sometimes. I'd say, mom, you can't use that language anymore. It's so outdated. But how, how mean of that is, how mean is that of me to shut her down? Is she hurting me? No, she's trying to learn. She's not hurting me. She's just using language that she, that so I take issue when people say stop using words like handicapped, stop using words like this. I say don't tell them to stop using the word. Listen to how they're using the word. And if it's used as a weapon, then they should stop it. But if it's used as if they're just trying to, to learn, then what who is it hurting? Now, obviously, if we're talking about somebody with like intellectual disabilities and somebody uses the word retarded, that should end. That's different. But if somebody says, "Hey, um, are you handicapped?" I would say, um, "No." Let me explain to you the language I like to use. Can we can we try this? But I also, if they're just learning, I might not call them out in front of everybody. And be like, "You you use that word." especially on social media, like that's, I see it all the time in disability discourse and it drives me up the wall. I see disabled people using the word, oh, you're an abled person or you're an abled, And I want to, I want to, I want to scream because could you imagine if you called me a disabled, how, how like rude that would be. So why am I as a disabled person then doing the exact same thing to you and saying, oh, you're enabled. Oh, those ables are the worst. Like, it's mm-hmm. not kind. It's really...
0: dehumanizing.
1: It's de- Feels yeah. dehumanizing. It's really unfair. And I think, and this is only my view, I think that it's really dehumanizing. I think it's unfair. I think it's setting the disability discussion back at least 20 years, because how the fuck are we supposed to move forward with disability justice if every time a non-disabled person tries to learn I scream at you and say oh no you you fucked it up you're enabled like what okay so I don't agree with that and there's a lot of disability activism that I won't engage with because it doesn't sit well with me my job and what I believe my job is is to to it's never my responsibility to educate you but for damn sure, it's my opportunity and I'm going to take it at every single turn.
0: Yeah. Um, so it sounds like your you value the conversation and people learning over what specific words they use if they're not using those words as weapons.
1: Yeah. Like I call is- myself a gimp, I call myself <laughs> a cripple, like I call myself all the, I use language about myself that is, that was once inappropriate at one point. I use that language to be like, I've reclaimed it for me. And like, for instance, if I like a dude and I want to see him again, I'll say, you better make a, you better make a disability joke about me. And I want to (laughs) hear what it is and like make one and let's laugh about it together. Cause then I see that you understand that we can laugh about this together. That I'm, then I've broken the ice for you and it's not scary anymore. Mm -hmm and we can play and then the next time we fuck it'll be make it easier so like with my sex workers like we have in jokes with each other around my disability that i love and i'm so thankful for because i'm like okay you get it now you understand it's okay that i want to play with this with you
0: yeah that's awesome (laughs) all right um what has been your hardest one understanding about sex or sexuality
1: You mean the thing that I have to understand mm-hmm. um, That sometimes you just don't get what you want <laughs> Sometimes you just don't get what you want Yeah. Um, you know I have wanted to go to the clubs And I wanted to be a slutty And I wanted to do all this stuff And I wanted to like party Even when I did the sex party a couple years ago Which is now almost coming up on six years Wow Um, I think it was six years the other day. Wow. Um, so, you know, even when I did that, I didn't get laid that night. I worked, I worked the door. Like I had this party about sex and disability and I didn't get to have sex. (laughs) What? come on, come on. So like, you know, and I've always wanted to be with the cool muscular gay dudes, like getting laid and doing porn and doing all the stuff. And yes, I have done porn and I've done, Adult film, and I've done that kind of stuff, and I, I'll do some more, you know, hopefully soon. Um, actually, on the day of the recording, I'm a film that I just did last week is coming out soon. Ooh, so funny. in a day, in a day or two. But um, you know, I don't, I don't get to be around all the hot guys all the time. I don't get like I, I'm doing all this advocacy, but I'm still not around the kind of dudes that I thought I wanted ten years ago. And of course, my advocacy's changed. I don't so much want to be around the muscular, like gay dudes anymore. I now want to be around like the soft bear kind of guys or like, the like super chill, you know, femme dudes who just don't give a fuck. Like I'm, I'm much, I'm much more mature in my, in who I seek out because like those tropes of masculinity are bullshit anyway. Um, So like fucked up bullshit. But at the same time, like, yeah, I want to be dicked down by a hot dude. I, I still don't get to do that. So, I think my hardest one understanding is like, you don't always get what you want. And that's been a hard thing for me to, to kind of come to terms with because all I wanted when I was in my twenties was to, like get gang by a room full of hot muscle, like muscle dudes. And I, yeah. have to, I have to say like, still hasn't happened. S- <laughs> still waiting for it. It still, still could waiting. happen.
0: Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Um, You keep your dreams alive and you work towards them. And, you know, one of
1: these days. (laughs) It's a dream I definitely have. It's definitely real.
0: Nice. Um, Working with in porn and arenas like that, how do you feel about people that sexually objectify you because of your disability?
1: This is a, a nuanced question. I think for me and only for me, and I only speak for me, I think it's great do it. Go ahead. Why not? I'm a bear in a chair. I'm a queer cripple. You can touch my big joystick. Like go ahead. Cause I invite that for myself. However, if the person that I'm with dehumanizes me in the process or makes me less than during the, during our sexual encounter, then I have a whole other way thing I want to say about it. But I think that for me, I've used my sexuality and my disability as a playful selling point. So for me, I love it. Like, I love playing with that. I love, you know, I call myself a bear in a chair, queer cripple, like big dick crip is my name on a lot of the apps right now. Like, I know what I am and I know what the reality is. And so why the fuck shouldn't I play with it? And I want, like I said, I want the people that I encounter to play with me too. Why not? Who are we hurting? But I wouldn't say... You should do that for every single disabled person. We need you need a discussion about what that looks like for every single disabled person. Um, um and I think the dehumanizing of them. Mm-hmm. So like that porn where you see them like from back in the day, where it's like, oh no, Johnny came back from the war and he can't move his legs now, but I'm gonna make him feel really good. Like that that kind of weird, like nurse porn from back in the day. Like, that's weird. I don't wanna do that. But I wanna, I wanna like you know, I want to show my partner the disability is hot and it's okay and we should play with it, but with consent and love and respect.
0: Yeah. Having those discussions, consensual discussions first.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. All right. Awesome. What is the most surprising thing you've learned about sex as you've gotten older?
1: That I'm crap at sex because of, of my body but I'm good at intimacy mm. so I know how to make somebody laugh I know how to put them at ease. I know how to make a joke like maybe I can't you know fuck you in all these different positions but I can make you look at sexuality a different way and like that's that's a superpower to me like I love the porn I shot the other day um you know it didn't turn out like the way either of us wanted it to. But we ended up laughing. We left, we had a good time. It was his first experience with a disabled guy. Like that's powerful. And I, so I think I've learned that intimacy is so much better than sex. I would rather spend time being intimate with a guy than like as much as 20 year old me want to get you know gang banged up a wall. I'd rather spend a day with a bunch of dudes just having a chat with the possibility of sex on the table. And not like I, I think intimacy is just so much hotter than like okay I'm gonna like come in we're gonna fuck and then gonna leave like I don't want to do that anymore like yeah. that's why I don't engage in two a.m. hookups anymore because I'm like I don't I want to spend time getting to know you I want to yeah. spend time feeling safe with you before I you know choke on your dick for an hour like I want to do I want to do all that stuff with you but I need it to be a relationship it has to be because I put a lot of trust in you so. <laughs> with yeah. my with my with the dudes that I that I see in my sex workers like we have a rapport i spend the sex worker that i see all the time my friend john we have been working together now for 4 years so when he comes in to my space there's no awkwardness for friends yeah. and like falling into a sexual experience with him is easy it doesn't it takes 2 seconds and i'm there i like okay yeah i trust you let's go but it took us a while to get there. Mm-hmm. And what I learned through all those experiences is that intimacy is my, like, sexual superpower because I know how to do that. I know how to make you kind of fall for me. I know how to make you, like, talk about disability in a way that you didn't before. I know how to make you think that's hot. And so, like, that's, that to me is what I've learned.
0: That is a superpower.
1: <laughs> totally. Because <laughs> I mean, they really say is.
0: that your biggest sex organ is between your ears. I mean, it's, right? Your brain, our psyche. Um, and intimacy makes. I mean, people think of intimacy. That word means different things to different people, but it makes sex way hotter. Because when you feel like you were saying, when you feel safe with somebody, and you're intimate with somebody, then you can explore way more. You can go into like those deep dark corners that are um, vulnerable and intimate, but also super hot and I don't know. It makes a big difference. So it's definitely a superpower if you can make people feel at ease and bring that to the table.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Well,
0: what was your biggest sexual regret?
1: My first time, if I'm honest, Hmm. um, the dude I had sex with, uh, I'll do a condensed version of the story because they tell it all the time that it's old hat now. But the dude I had sex with, when we were done, I thought that meant we were going to go on a date. All right. So, and I thought, because he made me come, we were boyfriends. So I said, let's go for a coffee. And he said, do you see a wheelchair over there in the corner of the room? And 19-year-old me said, yeah. And he said, well, I just came by because I felt bad for you. You were just a pity fuck. Oof. So I regret it in that it was Jesus. really hard. It was really hard for me to take. It was really it was the, the very first moment in my life where I understood what sexual ableism was. Um it was a really tough, tough moment for me. And if I could yeah. turn back and do it again, I would. Yeah. Like and I wouldn't have <sighs> found that guy on the apps on the it wasn't even on the apps it was on don't know on a website 20 years ago called gay.com that everybody went on to to get laid um and so i wouldn't have gone on there and found this guy because it hurt so much so that one is my biggest sexual regret i think
0: yeah absolutely that is really horrible um god how do you like come back from something like that and that was your first time
1: it happened 20 years ago almost and I'm still navigating my feelings about that. Like that experience gave me like sexual trauma around my own body and body dysmorphia and like all this stuff that I don't really talk about a lot, but I worry about dudes feeling that I'm too much or too intense or they don't want to sleep with me because I'm ugly because my disability or like they pity me. And the only reason that they're there is because I'm disabled and they want to help me out and like it's it's completely informed how I see myself Mm -hmm. um even now even some 20 years on um and I if I could change it I would so that's part of why sex work has been so transformative for me because with a sex worker we together control the narrative of what we're doing and how it's done and like and I you know, even after that experience, I never had good sex because of that experience with that one guy. So now with my sex workers I'm learning to like build good experiences with them and change those narratives about how I feel about my body. And like, you know, my sex worker and I, we haven't seen each other in a year and a half, but we text every day telling each other, you know, you're cool. I like you. Like, thanks for, you know, being around just a friendly, like pick me up and that like, that's giving me back some sexual confidence that I didn't have before. And like, so um, I dealt with it. I deal with it by just telling the story a lot and telling people what it's like to try to be sexually active when you're disabled.
0: Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you said you didn't have good sex because of that, because of your narrative and now you're learning to change your narrative. So you're having better sex. Can you tell me the two narratives and how that impacted the quality of sex that you had? I mean, like, what does that look like?
1: The first narrative was no wants to be with you. And they're only they're only with you because they feel bad for you. That was narrative mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And you're ugly and horrible and you can't fuck what the other dudes do. And you don't you know, that was narrative one. And so every time a guy came over after that first experience, I would want them to stay longer. I want them to stay the night. I would push things on them and push them to like stay, because I was like, I need you to stay. And if you stay, you'll see that I'm not such a weirdo and you'll see that I'm not so disabled and you'll see my disability won't scare you. So I would beg guys for sleepovers, because I'd be like, if I can get you to stay over and just see a little bit of my life, then you'll stay. And so that never worked because what dude in college wants to stay with their like 2 a.m. hookup, no one ever does. So Mm -hmm. like that never happened. And then, you know, over the last 10 years, just still not great sex, still not good experiences, just because gay male culture is very, is very preoccupied with suck me, fuck me and get out the door kind of sex. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I thought that's what you're supposed to do when I first started fucking and that's never what I want. And I'm very much an emotional flower that wants to be like loved and talked to and like told that I'm important. And that's my jams. But I would pretend like, okay, we're gonna just fuck. We're gonna do it. Yeah, yeah. But I would never like it. So I'd always right. say to the guy like, I'd always say to the guy, hey, you want to stay over? Do you want to go for breakfast? Do you want to like hang out? And then I'll be like, uh, no. So the second narrative is like, well, if I'm gonna hire a sex worker I'm g- and I'm gonna pay them. I'm going to use my hard-earned money or my disability pension to get a sex worker for an hour, twice a month. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to have the best fucking sex ever. And there have been workers that didn't work so well and people that didn't, that I didn't didn't jive with. But the one I have now, like we have such a friendly rapport that it's great. I, I, I really, really value his perspective because he comes in and it's like, it's just just hanging out with your best friend. And then, and then, oh, our pants are off and sex is happening. Okay, great. Like, it's not scary. And I, you know, I've I've had him on my show and I've had him on my podcast and I've we talked about it. And he said, yeah, I was terrified to be with you the first time. But when I realized how valuable it was for you to have this experience, of course I wanted to keep doing it. So like he understood the value of working with a disabled person like me and I was his first disabled person. So there's a bond there that I think will always have as worker and client. And I just working with sex workers, my narrative changed because I'm like, this is something that I have sought out. I've 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 I'm seeking this companionship and I'm paying for it. So it'll be different. Cause they're not going to be an asshole on Grinder. They might be, but very rarely are they.
0: Yeah. That makes sense that Because good sex to you includes intimacy and relationship. Once you started including that in your sex life, your sex life got a lot better. So that's obvious. And I'm really happy that you found a really great way to do that. Like, I think that is a really amazing aspect of sex work is that you can, like you said, people can feel more comfortable to get what they want and ask for what they want and receive what they want
1: yeah and it, for me it really changed it just made me so much happier like I'm, I have never been happier John is you know I say to him all the time you are the best sex of my life not not because it not because like physically what we're doing is groundbreaking but because he takes the time to give us sh- to, to care about me like he you know will care that I I'm having an off day, or we'll have days. We had a day a couple of years ago where he came over, and we were both feeling kind of low. And he said, "Well, why don't we just go to your groceries together? Do you need? Do you want to go to like the shops and get some stuff?" So we went to the grocery store, and we got my groceries, and then we came back. We made out a little bit, and that was the session. That was it. Yeah. Like, but there was something so cool about that because I was like, "Oh, I get to be with like one of the hottest guys in Toronto." But all we're doing is buying bangor- groceries. Like, we're not doing anything. <laughs> we're just buying groceries. And, I- like, it was really sweet. And it's one of the moments that I will never forget because it was like, oh, this is more to him than just going to fuck this client and go home.
0: Yeah, totally. What is one myth about sexuality, sex, and disability that you want to debunk?
1: Oh, there are so many, I want to debunk all of them, but the biggest one is that we can't have sex. The biggest one is that we are asexual just because we are disabled. Now, there are some disabled people that are asexual and we should be also respecting them, but just because I'm disabled doesn't mean I don't want sex. Yeah. And I think we need to remember that, um, remember that that's and it's a big myth and it needs to change. Also, all of us are going to become disabled at some point. So why the fuck are we not talking about this now? Like, yeah. even you, Phoebe, are going, to become, are going to become disabled one day due to old age, due to, you know, a life event. Who knows? You will, if you live long enough, you will become disabled. So when you become disabled, don't you still want to have great sex? Yeah, totally. So, yeah.
0: This is something I really don't understand and probably one of my biggest burning questions for you is why why like why I don't know I don't understand why people think that disabled people don't aren't sexual beings like I don't get it do you get it
1: I do get it a little bit because throughout our history for thousands of years disabled people before we even talk about sex Have been hidden away put in institutions killed you know not really seen as people so you have that as your baseline and then you already have sex as an impure thing so you put those two things together and you say if you have sex with this disabled person you're going to create demon babies or you're going to create like you know sinful humans or you're going to create humans with all of your defects too, you're going to pass on this genetic trait that's going to hurt your family. All this mythology around disability has been passed down for centuries. And so whether we realize it or not, it's part of the public consciousness to think, oh, I shouldn't want to be disabled. Oh, I shouldn't talk about that. Or, oh, oh, it's too scary. Like Just look at any of the history around disability and you'll see how how disabled people were treated and are still treated no wonder people don't want to have sex with us because we're not treated like we're human we're not given humanity we're told that we're other we're subhuman we're less than we're not important like look at even in canada in 2021 how hard it is for a disabled person to get around how -hmm. hard it is for them to be seen like you know so look at the, the history of the way we, again, not even just sex, just disability wise, we are not included in society yet. So then the minute you bring up sex, people are like, oh, wow, I can't do that. So that's why there's so many different facets as to why, but they're all there.
0: Right. I mean, I guess our society with a large portion of our society is just uncomfortable with the idea of other people being sexual beings anyways, or themselves being sexual beings. Yeah. Like there's a lot of, yeah. There's a lot of just sexual repression in our society to begin with. And then you add disability on top of that maybe. And then people are like, I don't know. Yeah, it's like too much for them to handle or something like it's so annoying to me I don't know they're just
1: scared they're just scared because they've never experienced disability before which is fine but that's why I'm here to say it's okay that you haven't experienced disability let's talk about that
0: yeah um and you are saying you mentioned it a little bit before but you said uh in one of your things, <laughs> that also one of the reasons why people might feel that way is because um, it might be them one day, or it will be them one day if you live long enough, like you said, and that that's a terrifying thing to think about or address within themselves.
1: Oh, yeah, they're terrified because, and also because they know that if they lose function, then their family and friends are going to look at them weird or not talk to them or they'll lose friendships or they'll lose relationships. But guess what? It's going to happen. So we need to sit with that fear and that discomfort. That discomfort is okay. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means we got to work on that. That is called ableism. That's what ableism is. That discomfort people are feeling that's ableism. And so if we name what that is, and talk about that instead of me saying fuck you Phoebe you're an ableist for for feeling this because I shouldn't do that as a dis- as a disabled person I don't think I should say cool Phoebe and other people in the room that feel this way let's talk about that together let's unpack that so in, in my talks which you can hire me for at andrewgirza.com hire me thank you um <laughs> I need some sex worker money so hire me please thank you so much uh <laughs> but you know in my talks one of the ones I'm doing for one of the organizations in Toronto next month is I'm talking to Planned Parenthood Toronto and I, we're going to be doing a whole session on what is sex and disability, but what is ableism and what is all this stuff and why is it uncomfortable and why don't we talk about it? Yeah. And those kind of conversations, getting people to sit in their own discomfort around disability without shaming them, that's a big part of it you can't if you shame somebody when they're trying to learn they don't learn they shut down totally, totally. So, so letting them be uncomfortable and saying I know you're uncomfortable it's okay you're in a safe space to do that let's do that together
0: <laughs> I mean it's a challenge at the best times to get people to sit in their discomfort
1: <laughs> I know
0: myself included I mean you have to do it consciously and on purpose to like, stay there, you know, stay where you feel uncomfortable.
1: It's hard. It's like, you know,
0: it can get easier. Like it's easier for me to do that than it used to be because I try to do that more, you know, and I try to also put myself sometimes in uncomfortable places where I will have to deal with that and sit there, but.
1: (laughs) It's like asking, you know, white people like us to sit and, confront our racism like it's Mm -hmm. not a comfortable thing but we have to do it the same with ableism we have to we have to sit in our own discomfort and realize that like i have to realize the times when i've been racist and i've said racist things and i've done racist stuff i also have to realize the times when i as a disabled person have also done ableist things and said ableist things and you know so it's a hard thing to do but i think it's really valuable
0: What do you want for yourself and your sexuality in five years time?
1: I love and hate this question. Uh, I want more dick in my life because who doesn't? I mean, (laughs) it's great. Um, But I want, you know, I want a partner. I'd like to, that's, well, yes and no. I want regular, more regular sex with people that I'm not paying it paying for it with like again I think sex work is great I'm not I'm not bashing it at all of course I use it and I think it's valuable but it's it's not cheap I don't have a ton of money and I'd like to I'd like somebody to say you know what I like you a lot and I want to fuck you on a regular basis but you don't have to give me 300 bucks an hour for that to be a thing it's like I want just more regular sex with good people and I'd like I don't I said a second ago that I might want a relationship. I don't want, I don't want a relationship in the traditional sense of what a relationship is. Yeah. Yeah. I want just someone regular who's, who I can get naked with, that I feel safe with. Um, yeah. Because I've un- I understand now kind of that um, I'm not gonna be in a relationship because of the social support system in Canada and in the provinces. If I was to move in with somebody Or get married, or do any kind of like coupling with somebody, the government would take away my my support system, my the money that I need to live, so I can't be with somebody. But that doesn't mean there's a lot
0: of different kinds of relationships out there. It doesn't have to be like the traditional kind of get married kind of relationship. It could just be, you know, a deep friendship where you fuck each other and you see each other all the time
1: i mean that's all that's
0: as a as a
1: young flowering girl that's all i've ever wanted really i mean yeah
0: cool why do you hate that question
1: because who knows what the fuck's gonna happen in five years yeah like um you know five years and it's both a really quick amount of time and the slowest amount of time ever. So Especially I, during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's both these last two years have been the slowest two years of my life, but also, holy fuck, it's already 2022. What the hell? Like, right. so I don't know. But I just, I want more regular sex. I want more friend sex. I want more, like, I, 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 I'll be blunt. I love dick. I want more dick. <laughs> Send sure. me all the dicks.
0: Yeah, I will uh, put that out there for you.
1: Yeah, I'll throw some over
0: day. here. I'll throw some at you from Alberta.
1: I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm all about that country guy. Those those like, lumberjack farmer thing. I'm, I'm all. I know. I know the kind of guys that are out there. Let's go.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Um. If you were in my shoes right now, what question would you have asked you that I haven't?
1: Mm. Tell, me, tell me your worst sexual experience.
0: Okay. Tell me, me your worst sexual experience, except you did. It was the first one.
1: Okay, well, let me switch it up. Tell me your best sexual experience then.
0: Was that your worst sexual experience? Your first first one. one? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Tell me your best sexual experience. Thank you. That was a question I wanted to ask, but I didn't write down. So Um, I forgot to ask you.
1: (laughs) My best sexual experience was one time with my sex worker. We just, nothing happened. Like it wasn't big. It wasn't momentous. We just hung out that day. We fucked around for like a good hour and a half. And then we went in for coffee and he, he just very gently said goodbye. And that was it. And like, I just remember being just being like, Oh, there's something important here. Like he gives a shit about me, even though I'm paying him and even though it's client and work or whatever, like it's important. And like, I think another experience we had was when I, when, when, we filmed our porn, like that was one of my favorite sexual experiences he and I worked together to film porn for Davy Wavy's porn company, and like that was cool. Um, and to know that that's out there in the world for people to watch. Also, if you're disabled, email me and I'll send you a copy because I have one. Because um, I know that people yes. with, with disabilities don't have a lot of money, and I wanna, I wanna give, I wanna give people the chance to look at that if they want to. Um, but that experience was really cool because again, it's like a how. Ha- it's like a how-to to fuck a hot disabled person. So like, that's cool. Yeah, and that was one of my favorites, for sure.:
0: So that, the first one that you were talking about, why was that why was that one of the best? Like, what was it? Oh, how can I word this? Like What was it that was so profound about that? just
1: the intimacy we had like we put on we put on some music it was kylie minogue because <laughs> we're both yes. and we just we just made out and fucked around it was just simple there was not like at this point we've been fucking for a while now like and we knew each other and we were comfortable um and it was just easy there was it wasn't hard at all like we said hello and within the within like 20 minutes you know we were fucking dick and having a great time like it wasn't hard and his, my disability didn't get in the way and it didn't bother him and it wasn't like he is tasked yeah. when we hook up he's tasked with putting me in bed getting me undressed then making sure i'm okay like he did all that with because we've been working we, we had been working together for over a year at that point like he knew what to do he was comfortable and it would just it made it easy really really yeah. easy and that was hot it was like yeah but we also played like we joked around like we most of our sex is us trying to make the other one laugh and like <laughs> that's more fun to me than all the dicks I could suck in the world like that it's fun to play that game with somebody so yeah. we did and it, was, it was so great Nice, I love that
0: um for my last question what is one thing you wish you knew as a teenager about sex and sexuality
1: oh this that could be a whole podcast by itself uh it. what i wish i knew as a teenager oh um i wish i knew that i wasn't gonna get what i wanted all the time i wish i knew that and I wish I understood that because of my disability and because of what my needs are, the kind of sex and the kind of relationship that I have are, are in for the long con. They're not like quick, easy fire starter friendships. They take time. Mm-hmm. And I wish I understood that. I fuck. I wish I understand that now. Like it takes, I want everything tomorrow because as a teenager, I never got it. I never got to have those things. But I was, 16 17 18 I was having surgery I was having you know I was dealing with growing up as a disabled kid trying to figure all that out um I never got to do all that so I wish I had known that it would take time yeah because I'm impatient now I want everything I want everything like now like hurry up why can't it be happening right now hurry up because you're
0: a human too
1: yeah yeah (laughs) And so, but I, but because of my disability and because of wanting that so much, I'm fucking impatient. And I wish that I could just like, sometimes I tell my 37 year old self, slow down. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. If it doesn't come to you, it'll be fine. But I always feel like I'm missing out because as a teenager, I did miss out on a lot of teen stuff that so many other teens are doing that I didn't do. So I often feel like I'm like, come on, come on. I want it. Come on. And so like, I wish I had told myself, hey, Andrew, at 17, that, or even Andrew at 19, that desire you have to suck that dick, like, wait, another year or two, and it'll be better then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, too, sometimes the teenagers that were doing all those things, they might say the same thing. Actually,
1: yeah, they probably like,
0: maybe it's not as great as sometimes people that don't get it think that it is, yeah, <laughs> and they might say the same thing, like, just wait a couple of years, <laughs> I'll be a lot better, yeah, just hang on just, like
1: yeah. and so like like, but because I, I didn't get the chance to, i I'm, I'm impatient now, like I totally I'm, I want it tomorrow,
0: yeah. <laughs> um well after covid hopefully when you can get out a little bit more (laughs) i'm sure covid kind of put a pause in all those desires for you i
1: shot my i shot my first porn last week yeah and then two days later i got a cold and an ibs flare and i was like really come on i I understand the need to be patient and it's hard for me because i'm not because of my disabilities i'm not a patient person at all like i'm not i I want things tomorrow but you know as things open up here in ontario my hope my hope is that my sex worker and i can see each other more that's that's my goal yeah cool
0: where can people find you
1: They can find me pretty active on social media, Instagram and Twitter is where I say a lot of the things I say about disability at Andrew Gerza underscore on Instagram and Twitter. Um, They can also follow my award nominated podcast, uh, disability after dark Mm -hmm. and all the places where podcasts go. It used to be a sex podcast and now it's a disability, everything podcast. So if you want to come and have Stories about disability shared with you, that's the place to go.
0: Yep. Nice. And where can people find your porn?
1: They can currently go to himeroves.tv and buy a subscription there to get one of them. The other one, probably by the time this comes out, it will be on my friends just for fans page, which I don't remember what it is right now. But <laughs> for the first one, they can go on himeroves.tv and, and buy it there or just. Yep. Email, email me and i'll send it to you
0: yes i'm sure you'll be posting about it on your yeah stuff too so people can probably just find it by following you yeah okay awesome well thank you so much right. for this thank amazing you. interview it was delightful it was uh, worth the wait for sure
1: thank you so much for having me and for wanting me to be here
0: thank you for listening to and subscribing to sexuality after a new episode comes out every second tuesday you can watch these podcasts as well on my youtube channel tea with phoebe d and if you have a story to share i'm always open and excited to have more amazing conversations so please contact me via my information in the episode notes If you want to find out more about me and my coaching, you can find me on the aforementioned YouTube channel or www.phibd.com. If you want to know more about my interviewee or the things we talked about in this podcast, check out the episode notes on your podcast app. I hope you accept and love your humanity and sexuality a bit more after listening to this episode. See you in two weeks.